0: This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore, Thor is also expanding into a new forty-five caliber bullet designed for faster 1-in-24 and 1-in-22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. This week we're talking with Eddie Davenport. He's the editor of the North-South Skirmish Association editor of the North-South Skirmish Association's magazine, The Skirmish Line. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We're excited
1: to have you. Hey, Ethan. Thanks for having me on.
0: So we wanted to have you on. You'd reached out with just an email kind of updating, you know, the things that you had for our magazine and things we had for your magazine. And I kind of just slid in the podcast there. So I really appreciate you coming on. And I'm excited to talk with you today about the North-South Skirmish Association, black powder and muzzleloading in the NSSA as well as the magazine you guys put out, history in the United States, and you know some of your own personal work as a mental health worker and a therapist relating to shooting sports and firearms.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm brand new as the editor. Uh, I grew up in the organization so uh, I always like to joke with people that I went to my first uh, skirmish. So in case anyone's not aware, we call our shooting events skirmishes. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to be going with that as we're going with it. So, But I went to my first skirmish probably at about three weeks old. Oh, wow. Um, I, I celebrated most of my birthdays at our nationals in the fall up there because I just happened to – my birthday winds up um, the middle of our fall nationals. Mm-hmm. So it was always a cool little thing as a kid to go – like to get out of school and go watch cannons be shot. i um, being shot. So that that was always a cool thing to do. Where most of my friends were like, "Hey, let's have a pizza party." I'm like, "I get to see a cannon go off." Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, the uh, this past year I took on the the editor role for the magazine, and it's um, been interesting to um, to try to work through all that, especially with the pandemic and everything going on. We haven't like most things. We haven't um, had any shoots going on, minus uh, some very small minor ones. So where normally our magazine touches on all the competition going on, for us, it was um, like rehashing old articles and getting writers to submit stuff in. I got to know some um, individuals in the organization a whole lot better by um, begging them to submit articles.
0: (laughs) It was really troubling. I mean, I think a lot of printed publications, you know, you run, you know, a few months ahead, you kind of have some things in the pipeline. But when you have an entire year – just totally dropped off, it really changes things. I mean, we were in the same position. The the people that we have running and organizing the magazine, I mean, they're you start adding up the pages through a year that cover events that never happen. And that's a lot of things you've got to pack mm-hmm. content in for.
1: Yeah, the when I was um going through like looking at it's like so the issue I'm putting out right now is our spring issue. And normally, this issue, the roundup is we're either preparing for the fall national, or excuse me, we're preparing for our spring nationals. Or depending on when it comes out, it's we just had the spring nationals. But generally, it's we're putting all the information out. They're like, all right, these are the schedule events. These are all the forms you need. Uh, all the stuff going on. And this was there's nothing in that because we're not having a nationals. Which this makes three that we've had to cancel. Oh, and no. um, yeah, for. So we, do, we host two nationals a year. We host a fall and a spring. Uh, the, it just kind of makes it easy for the amount of people who need to come because we have teams that basically if there is ever a, um, a union of the Civil War that got drafted that's, there's, in a state, we have a team there. Okay. So basically the entirety of the, uh, the northern states are the union states and the entirety of the southern states are the Confederate states. Um, of course, we have members from te- that shoot from teams that aren't on those states. I mean, uh, depending on we have service members, I know we have a couple members that are, are stationed in Alaska and California and stuff like that that are based in teams. So we don't have units based out of those teams because historically there was never a Civil War unit drafted out of those states because they weren't states.
0: Mm, okay. So what was it like growing up? And we, we talked a little bit before the show about your own personal experience in the organization and you did a lot of you know civil war and black powder competitions is that right
1: yeah so the growing up like I mean I was always around black powder shooting and I mean I was I grew up around firearms my dad made sure that I was I knew the safety rules and aspects of firearm ownership and shooting and so I grew up hunting with my dad target shooting but like black powder is a whole different beast it's Mm -hmm. a the, I mean, the, it, the listeners of the show realize, I mean, there's nothing like smelling black powder. The, <laughs> yep. the, And like our competition itself, I mean, I, I encourage anyone who doesn't actually know what we are, just uh, pause the show right now. Um, hopefully you're not driving, but pause the show <laughs> right now. Go, go on YouTube and just pull up the North-South Skirmish Association's um, video. If you search that up, we have a, a membership video that we brought a te- um, a team of videographers in a couple years ago to film it and it goes over everything of all the stuff we do because we are probably the most unique black powder sport in the country or excuse me in the world like while there are like you know the frontiers walks and round ball and everything those all in in this course the stuff like that um you guys do they're all encompass aspects of like black powder shooting but we do everything the civil war has. so that means cannons mortars muskets which is the big one mm-hmm. uh carbines repeaters and pistols which and of course we're adding more things now we have um single shot competition from the single shots or that during that era and smoothbore yeah and the smoothbore guys i mean they have they have guns that were like most of their guns are original so when you have guns from the, the late 1700s early 1800s
0: wow I think partially myself, you know, to my own fault, when you think civil war, you automatically go to, you know, one of the movies talking about Gettysburg or one of the big battles, mm-hmm. but you guys are really in depth on the arms of that era.
1: Yeah. The, it's a living history of, it, it, yeah, it's a living history of the weapons and the, the different armaments of the era. And like, it's, our sport is unique in the sense that we're not reenactors, mm-hmm. but every team is based off of a historical unit that existed. Like for example, I shoot with uh, company, a third Virginia, um, dismal swamp Rangers. <laughs> so, um, and of course our nickname is the swamp rats. Yeah. Uh, we were based out of ports Virginia and historically you can track what we did, but it's, it's cool to think that like, Hey, so the unit I, am, the unit I am existed in real life and we were the uniform based on that day. And as a side note, Wearing wool in the middle of July is not fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, it's the worst. It's the worst. I don't care if you're doing Rev
0: War, Civil War, it, the wearing the wool is just a killer.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is not fun. Special, like I mean, we have we have uh, a uniform that we can wear that's not quite as historically accurate of like um, and everything, but a lot of teams like to go full on like as original as possible. Mm-hmm. The so it's pretty cool in that aspect, but the 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 part where I say we're the most unique is like, well, most shooting competitions out there today are individual. Yes. You know, like you, so like you, like. Even modern stuff like three gun, cowboy action, IDPA, stuff like that. It's all individual. It's you against the clock.
0: I never thought the NMLRA would be in the same line as these other modern
1: competitions where it's an individual <laughs> sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like it's but in, in a sense, you are. I mean, like, yeah. it's it's you. It's one man. It's his rifle or woman. I mean, but, but it's it's one person, their rifle or whatever they're competing against a clock um, shooting targets or you know paper targets and stuff what we do is breakable targets but it's team competition and depending on the size i mean the big one that we all everyone shares is our musket competition so that is eight people per team shooting at 50 and 100 yards um, and we're shooting against breakable targets against a clock and you were talking about in the beginning like you've seen like you know you think the the gettysburg movies and glory and stuff like that Mm -hmm. A lot of the, um, a lot of the sound effects you hear from those movies were actually recorded at our event. Oh, that's because incredible. there's nowhere else in the world can you get original musket fire bullets going overhead with that many sustained bullets. <sighs> you got to think when the, the musket competition first starts, the line goes off. There's probably like seven, eight hundred muskets going off at one time. Yeah, and they're real bullets going downrange. So I mean, it's it's kind of a unique thing to see and watch.
0: Yeah. I've, I've pulled up when you said to pause the show, I pulled up the video and I've, I've been kind of listening to you talk and narrating over the, you know, the video and <laughs> silent. And I totally get what you mean. I mean, you've got everybody on, on the line here and there's just, it's much like the firing line at, at the NMLRA headquarters when we host our national matches. I mean, there's just black powder smoke everywhere. The wine uh-huh. is full of people and it just looks like an incredible time.
1: I mean, yeah, it's like, and depending on which event it is. I mean, my personal favorite of all that is, well, my I have a guilty pleasure and my personal favorite. My guilty pleasure is the um, repeater match. Uh-huh. So we're using um, Henry's. Ooh, yeah. So you know, the first lever-action rifle. And the I have, and it's all black powder. Mine is in 40, is uh, chambered at 4440. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the few guns that we shoot of that era that it's not of the, the gun is not of the original reproduction because the original Henry's were not center fire. And you would destroy anything you try to, of value to try to put out there. And it's really not. It's not the safest in the world to shoot at the sustained fire we do. Right. So we use modern reproductions of Henrys, but I've had it, my gun get so hot that, in like, in the middle of a match in the summertime, I've had to take, a, a, like, a towel, dip it in a bucket of water, and then wrap it around the barrel just so that I can hold it. Wow.
0: So how many shots are you guys talking about in one of those matches then?
1: So if your team is good, you can probably get through. Um, like my. So the, the best one I've ever did is uh, we won actually we won a we won a a championship doing this one. Is uh, each of us each each person was um um had to shoot ten shots or ten targets at fifty yards, and there was is four of us. So you gotta think there's so minimum forty rounds going down range. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did we the event that we did the best one in was 10 um, clay pigeons at 50 yard on a cardboard backer. So, you know, the same pigeons that you throw up in the air and you shoot shotgun at. Yeah, yeah. So 10 of those at 50 yards. And I believe we got it down in less than, I want to say, 30 seconds.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. That's really Yeah, and there's guys
1: that are out there that are a whole lot faster than that. I mean, this one was, we were... We were a B, a B team, meaning so you have the A teams, B teams and C teams. So, you know, the top shooters rise at the top and the, the ones that didn't, I hadn't shot this gun in probably a year and a half. So I've lost my spot on the A team and we came and we did B team and we just cleaned house.
0: Huh, that's fantastic. So where are these are where are these matches held? Are, you talk about the spring and fall nationals. I are those in a hub, and then are there some other smaller matches and events throughout the year in other places?
1: Yeah. So the the home national match is held at our national range, which is in uh, it's called Fort Shenandoah, but it's in Winchester, Virginia. Okay. It's um that is our home range. It's um we. We every team has their own personal camping spot that's already pre-designated out. Mm-hmm. It's permanent camping sites. We have a we have a huge firing line. It go, it's wrapped around the river. It's it's a really beautiful place. And then if, uh, most teams are well, I should say most regions because we're broken down into different regions across the United States. Um, have a regional range where they shoot out of. Okay. Um. I only know of two um, watches. I I know where three Rangers are located just because, you know, the vastness of the United States, it's hard. You can't, it's hard to go to all the different ranges. Oh yeah. But yeah, every, uh, most teams have a range where they do different things. Uh, Like the range that I generally shoot at is um, it's Southeast, it's in Southampton County in Virginia. Okay. So it's, we, we actually, it's an old farm essentially that we have, we put like dirt in everything. So we have actual firing lines Mm. and backstops. I know some teams; they have agreements with national parks, and they're able to do stuff there. And the, the national parks actually use it as an attractant. So, like, it's like, "Hey, come watch this cool event that's going to happen." People are going to shoot Civil War guns.
0: Yeah, it's a a big draw, especially for a park facility like that. You know, we'll see some some real history out there happening.
1: Yeah, and the um, like I know what the one of the biggest draws that um some some of the teams areas get is because they have. The artillery matches so because there's some guys out there they're like yeah they enjoy shooting the rifles but the the cannons is where it's at for them mm-hmm. and when they host the like they host like strict artillery matches that's that's the big draw for a lot of people hmm. so what kind of cannons are they shooting there so um i'm not i'm not vested on the, oh, the, the okay. correct sizes and stuff but i can i can try to do it justice yeah so some guys actually do shoot original cannons, like they they were issued in the Civil War. But a lot of the stuff they do is um, it's reproductions. We have some guys that um, that make fantastic full-size reproductions. But what they do is so essentially how the, the event is that we shoot solid round balls, like there's no explosive balls or grape shot going downrange. But they shoot at uh, I believe it's 150 yards or 175 yards. They shoot at. Hmm. Uh, but they're shooting at um like a gigantic tin ring you know like yeah. the standard 8 9 7 x thing and they do what's also called a counter battery so it's a picture of another cannon downrange. and the idea is that if you can hit it where if you can hit it and capacitate, you know take out the barrel or take out a wheel each different section of the cannon opposing is, is worth more points oh that's so cool yeah, and it's a couple years ago. Well, I say a couple. I mean, we all know how, like, 90s was only four years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was, I think it was what, 2011, maybe. Could have been possibly before then, but we did a nighttime cannon match, which was really Ooh. cool. They had um, flares and stuff lining up downrange and candles on all the different um, backstops, and the, the artillery crews did all their firing and comp- um, competing at night. So that was super cool to see because it's something you're not really ever gonna see again.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. That is so cool. <laughs>
1: the the other real cool match they do is the mortar matches. So and for people who don't um, know, cannons are the ones that shoot straight. Mortars are the ones that shoot really high up in the air. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that they would shoot over like like fortress walls and then come down on top. Yeah. So the mortar matches are really cool because how they do that, again, solid balls and you're aiming at a state downrange um, and that you just you're going to measure the different like the distance um, from the stake that they're going to make a cumulative thing for all the, the balls. But there are a lot of teams who actually do have original um, their mortar does have original pieces, either it's the actual mortar itself or pieces of the mortar or um, saw service. Um, There is one team that uses an actual original siege mortar that I believe actually helps uh, sell help start the civil war.
0: Wow. That's,
1: that's fantastic. I mean,
0: I, I'm like you, I grew up around firearms and guns and and spent a lot of time with things, but to me, the history involved with black powder and muzzle loading makes it just so much cooler than just anything Mm -hmm. else. And I mean, there's hardly anything out there that you can say that, you know, there's a team of people working with and using parts that were there, you know, at these historic events.
1: Yeah. I mean, I took for granted, like my favorite, that what I'm, what I personally hold the most like national championships in, and I'm probably the best shot in is my carbine. I use a original Smith carbine. So it was, you know, it's a breech loader. So, you know, you it's one of the first it was a rapid fire gun back. Yeah, in the yeah. Day. <laughs> I mean, um a musket I could probably during my fastest times of ever shooting, I could probably get off maybe four shots in a minute with my musket and that's and that's blazing, you know. I yeah. mean if anyone does muzzle it, you know how fast that is. But with the, uh, my carbine, I mean, <laughs> I have to be careful not to shoot through my 12 bullets I take up on the line for the competition if I'm not hitting. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, like, that thing is probably my absolute coolest. But as a kid, I took for granted that, like, when someone said, like, oh, they saw a muzzle, like, oh, that's so cool. Look at it. It's like, it's so old. I'm like, it's so old. I, I, I shot one of those yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, museum field trips and things are, are a little different when you've been handling that stuff forever.
1: Yeah. Are <laughs> like I remember as a kid one time um, of course everyone loves the smart little kid, but yeah. I looked at something and I realized that it wasn't original and it was a repo and I called him out on it and they're like yes well actually that one is a repo we have it out cuz the original's not here. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you, do you figure? Uh, seven. <laughs> so just on that age where I'm not going to get um super in trouble, but and still annoying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. you're right on that line. <laughs> so where you're talking
0: about the you know kind of the home base or the headquarters in Winchester, uh, where are you? You know, you don't have to go into specifics, but where are you located? You know, as you're doing the magazine work.
1: So I'm located. <laughs> I'm currently located. Uh. Um down in the deep South of North Carolina, um, just under Fort Bragg, okay. close to South Carolina. But I actually, um, I'm getting ready to move with my wife to Western North Carolina. We um we, we purchased a home, so we'll be moving out there shortly. Well, fantastic. Congratulations.
0: No, thank you. That's got to be neat being in an active part of, of this work. You know, you're in a location and in an area where these things happened and that, that correlate to the association.
1: Yeah, the it's super cool for that. Cause, um, a lot of the, like a lot of battles and stuff happened close to where I'm at. And then where I grew up was in Kyrtuk, North Carolina. And of course there was, um, there wasn't so many battles that happened in this, um, during that area, but there's a lot of occupation. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of deep rich history in that area. Hmm. That's fantastic.
0: So talking about history here a little bit, um, uh, we talked about this some before the show and I just want to touch on it, you know, just so, I mean, when we're talking about the civil war, you know, there's a lot of changing culture and a lot of, you know, ideas going on out there about history and things. And I was just curious about how the association handled kind of the changing perception of history and, and the civil war more, you know, focused in on the civil war.
1: Yeah. So there's, there there's a couple different ways of looking at this the the official answer that we as an organization give is that um we we are the living embodiment and living history of the civil war and we 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 exist to honor the the sacrifices of both union and southern of the men and then we living history in their weapons Mm -hmm. and arms and like i said we try to keep history alive in that regard and we try to teach that, and of course we also use it for preservation of history. A lot of our units do a lot of historical work, you know, preserving graveyards of the um, the soldiers. Um, because some people know that some people don't. Every soldier who fought in the Civil War is considered an American veteran, mm-hmm. so we so they're all in veteran cemeteries, and so they a lot of them are unfortunately in disrepair. So a lot of units try to make it take it upon themselves to keep the cemeteries up. Yeah, that's great. But as far as like the big one um i know you're skirting on the issue but i will touch it is like you know the, this past year 2021 the confederate monuments were a big thing yeah and we as a organization don't actually have an official policy on that that's not something cuz the, the the monuments don't aren't owned by us right right um we have now, of course, if you're talking about the Civil War, there's the two flags. You know, there's the American flag and there is the Confederate flag. And of course, the Confederate flag comes with an all host of different issues that can come up with socially. Yeah. And officially, we do our best to, you know, try to stay on the historical lines of, hey, this uh, that we can argue we can argue all day long what the Civil War was about. Um, some people have their opinions, and but the historical facts were it was. The, the South had their rights. They wanted slavery. They wanted um, there was an agricultural base and they felt like they were being invaded by a northern army based on other things because caused by history. Yeah. We as an organization do not try to get muddy the politics of any of that stuff. We stick to the fact that these arms are this the civil war happened. People fought, but we have a bevy of historical arms that are really cool and that's what we try to focus on. And I, I
0: think that's really important. I mean I think for you and me, because it's part of our day-to-day life, the the arms and the associated time and, the, and those periods, they're kind of, to, to us, they're really important. And then to other people, mm-hmm. you know, I think in history class and things, you hear about the policy and the leaders and the back and forth. But there's a lot there that is preserved, I, I believe, mutually by both of mm-hmm. our associations that of the, just the normal day-to-day person that is important. It's important to remember how things were done, how people lived, how things were made and, and to preserve that so that it's not lost. So we don't have a period of time that we look back on and there's nothing there. I've been watching a documentary on just the history of firearms in the United States. And it's a lot of things that I've already known, but it's just a neat refresher of how important Mm -hmm. that manufacturing base was to such a young country. And all of the things that have grown out of the manufacture of, you know, original flintlock muskets, you know, used in the Revolutionary uh-huh. War and how that changed everything here. And I mean, that's uh, I've been a kind of a, a traditional crafts reenactor my whole life, you know, demonstrating traditional woodworking and all sorts of things. And, and so much of that's involved in all of this. It's not the the flashy, large firing line, you know, goofy clothes as, as mm-hmm. the public would see it, but it's a lot of really important things. And the members, I, I love that you touched on that, that your members are out there trying to preserve this and preserve these, these cemeteries and other things there so that other people down the road can learn from that i think that's just fantastic yeah.
1: so so i want to be clear that what i'm about to say isn't uh, it's not a reflection of the organization this isn't in a um eddie davenport ssa editor this is eddie davenport the shooter yeah speaking um just but a lot of our members though like we have a lot of members who served in armed forces who are veterans stuff like that so like they're all aware like re- re- either you Either you, um, like I said, this is it muddies the poli- politics of the Civil War. Yeah, but the the South did succeed. It was trying to form its own country. And so there, with that comes a whole host of ideas, you know, like, could they be traitors and stuff like that? And this isn't, but I wanted to be very clear. We have members who are armed forces are very proud of America and very proud of like fighting for our country who shoot on Southern teams. Yeah. I don't like they in no mind think that they, they want to see the South succeed. They do it because again, they enjoy the history of the civil war. And like, if we, we want to get down to it, a lot of the civil war and everything, like while we glorify or glorify or vilify would. Depending on the side you're on, like the leaders of the Civil War, really what it was about was the, the poor <laughs> the poor guy on the front line that was just struggling to survive that, you know, the his he saw that his town was getting invaded by an invading army or everyone in his village or little area signed up to go fight. And it was like, hey, I'm going to go fight with my friends and my brothers because that's my family.
0: Right. I think that's something just personally uh, my grandfather was super into the civil war and, and everything involved with it. And again, you can you can listen to the you know the top level politics of it, but when you start getting down into it, you, like you say the man, you know, in a small town or on a farm that got involved in it on either side. Uh-huh. There's a lot of just Wonderful stories and a lot of conflict there. I mean, I think the Civil War was, I think, arguably one of the first really mechanized wars, not in comparison Uh to now, but it was still where you were seeing tactics of the Rev War and the previous wars where you just had these large armies just coming at each other, but you had the mechanization of, of actual arms, you know, cannons and guns and things. And you look at the pictures, you have the documentation of the Civil War that I think makes it... It's, it's horrible. I mean, the lives lost, you know, are always, you know, stink, but being able to have the photographs and the journals and the writing of those people is, I find, I mean, I'm getting kind of goosebumps thinking about it because it's just fantastic to be able to look back on that and see all of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, like, um, I you mentioned the beginning like my right now i work in mental health and um but my background was actually fire ems and a lot of what we do a lot of what we did in ems got started in the civil war like every war out there has always jump started technology Mm -hmm. and the civil war was a jump start for battlefield medicine like a lot of like learning how to triage and like what like actually saving people and doing stuff now granted we look back on and it's very antiquated but that stuff didn't come from nowhere. It came from guys down in the trenches, literally trying to save someone's life.
0: Yeah. And that's important,
1: <laughs> you know, that, that, yeah. <laughs> that's how
0: we, that's the story of how we got here. And I, I, I mean, thank you for your services, you know, as a first responder there, that's not an easy job.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it was always the, the, the thing that like, uh, I always love to focus on they're looking at that stuff was the, while it was cool for, how to see how the medicine evolved like also how the weapons involved to try to counteract that medicine like the triangle or um like <laughs> the triangle blades and everything yep. on the um like that the 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 amount of like gruesome history that came out of stuff is just like horrifying but also fascinating at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah you
0: can't uh you can't go back and undo it you know so it's I think it's it's good to learn from it and you know find those interesting
1: parts to <laughs> to kind of digest
0: it mentally yeah. I
1: suppose. Yeah, it's just for me it was like because I realized that like I for me, when we shoot on the lines, I would take literally take my bayonet um, that I always carried and shove it down on the ground to hold my ramrod so I can like shoot faster while I'm on the lines street shooting. Yeah. And like for me, it was always just a tool to hold the ramrod. For a lot of people, it was the it was the last thing they saw. Yeah. <laughs> or it was and the thing that saved something their to life. Laugh at, but yeah. Yeah, it's.
0: I think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, um, in this show and then just out at even last year being so limited with events and mm-hmm. it's just, it's neat to get out and talk with people passionate about history. And, uh, it really makes me optimistic for the future of all this.
1: Yeah. That's the, that, that was the thing. Like, well, um, <clears throat> that kind of brings me into why I actually took the job with the NSSA. The, uh, our organization is getting older. <laughs> yeah. Um, the core, I, I don't know what exactly the core age of our, the, the average age of our members, but it's gotta be upwards in the sixties, unfortunately. Cause like, I mean, we started in the 1955. Yeah. So like a lot of our, and we have a lot of guys who have been in the organization for 50 years now. I mean, I started, um, I started in 2000. Uh, well I'm going to, I'll just give my age cause I can't remember the thing, but I'm 33 and I started shooting when I was 15. Okay. So yeah. I mean, so I have, I have, uh, Oh my God! 18 years in now. Wow, sounds (laughs) bad saying it now. (laughs) But um, but I mean, so like we have a lot of guys who have a lot more years than uh, that in the organization that I have, and I wanted to see this organization continue. I mean, because we're pretty, we're real unique, and I want to be able to keep shooting those guns in competition when I'm 60. Yeah. So that was like, so the best way to do that was I saw a need that we needed to kind of modernize our magazine. And get it so it's something that people wanted to read and help, like, in a sense, get beyond the bad press of the Civil War. Because we got to – that was the thing when I took my interview. is like we got to stick true to what we are. We're, we are a historical preservation society for the Civil War arms. And if we can stay true to that mission, we'll continue to succeed because we are the coolest shooting organizations out there, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's really important. I think our listeners have probably heard me say dozens of times now that – if we're not out here talking about what makes us great and, and how all this stuff works and why it needs to be preserved, then other people are going to find a million ways to uh, shout us down and, and, you know, snuff us out. Mm-hmm. So as a young person, uh, I, I say that, I guess, kind of jokingly because I'm also a young person involved with <laughs> <laughs> with an aging you know organization. But I love them. I love everybody I've met and talked to, you know, and I'm... It's, it's exciting to be around so many people that know so much, but what are you doing with the magazine and, and your involvement there to, to update things and and to change how it's done?
1: So some, like the first things was, is actually just trying to make it so that it's something that people want to read. And I say that, um, the, the um, our past editors did a really good job. I don't want I don't want to rag on anyone. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not my job here, not my point here. But oh, over time, our magazine has basically shrunk from a lot of good readable articles to a lot of just stats, like from shoots and stuff. Yeah. And I got to the point where every time I got a magazine in, I would flip past like 20 pages of just scores to one article and then throw the magazine away. And I was like, that's that's not something that I want I I I wouldn't look forward to seeing that. Because I remember as a kid, I w- looked forward to getting the magazine in. It was kind of like when the my my favorite magazine as a kid was for a fishing game. Like yeah. I couldn't wait till that magazine came in because I just I poured over every page. And then it was the skirmish line because it had articles about guns and articles about they had a history section. It was just it was just a really cool thing to read. And so I kind of wanted to get it back to that feeling that like I wanted something to come in the mail that I could be excited to read again.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's important. You know, th- things, everything changes, and it's it's not degrading of the past work, but the you know people change, and it's always nice I think to have kind of a refresh and get out there and start doing more.
1: Yeah, the the one of the biggest goals that I have is trying to um i'm working through the logistics right now and i'm working through some of we have a lot of bylaws that are on the books that you know we got to make sure everything stays yep. within the realms of the organization but trying to make it so that we're more uh, almost a digital focused, because i mean i've been subscribed to your guys magazine for a long time just getting it in my email yeah so like that is really nice and like it saves it if we're just talking logistically it saves money and we have a lot of members who have already said that, like they would rather their their magazine subscription just be a donation, and so every penny counts. So, yeah. like, just trying um, using stuff like you guys as an example to digitize the magazine is we're just working through the logistics right now of doing that. I will say that if anyone ever wants to read one of our issues, uh, we do actually publish it currently online. You just it, you just have to go through a few hoops. Um, you have to go through what's called our bulletin board. So if you search up uh, n-ssa.org, it'll take you to our home bulletin board. It's just an old message board. We do have magazines posted there.
0: Okay, great. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So anybody listening uh, can click on that, and that'll direct you right Um, To those issues. Uh, Another note on the digital magazine, something that makes it nice for you, just some more uh, arrows for your quiver over, you know, last Christmas, all the shipping issues logistically with the postal service, which is how our magazine is distributed. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we had magazines getting lost and destroyed left and right just because of all of the hubbub. But um, those of us with digital subscriptions were able to get everything right on time and everything was fine. (laughs) We didn't have to wait to read it. So that's something else to consider for you.
1: And I can read it from my phone while I'm hunting, which is what I did this morning while turkey hunting. Oh, nice. Any luck out there? Uh, No, they gobbled behind me and in front of me and then I just... I kind of gave up. I had to, I had to leave and go back and go to work this morning. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I think the season opens up here in a few weeks and uh, there's a bunch of Toms around me that are, I can hear gobbling sometimes in the morning, in the evenings. And I just... I'm no good at turkey hunting, but I, I just like seeing them out there.
1: <laughs> I gotta ask: Do you do you use a modern shotgun, or do you take a muzzleloader out there? It's got to be a muzzleloader. Okay, I, 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 <laughs> I had to put you on the spot. No, man. no, that's fine. I I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like
0: to upgrade and um, either or either find if I'm out and about enough this summer, or um, or build from a kit of some kind. Really, just kind of a short stocking rifle but maybe in a smooth bore for turkey mm. season just that look it's just for me I just I love the look of super long flintlocks or muzzleloaders mm-hmm. and super short ones
1: <laughs> so uh, I'm throwing this out there to the, um, all your listeners uh, my my the thing that I'm looking for is I'm looking for a flintlock shotgun for um, turkey season okay so if anyone out there ever has one and you want to help a guy out <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, we got to get you
1: 2021 know, has been great for finding guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that is that, I mean, it's, it's not
0: really on our topics that we have here, but is that a concern for you guys right now? Because we're seeing and the people that we're talking to are seeing major powder shortages or powder delays, uh-huh. um, you know, things that we're hearing is deliveries kind of in mid May. Um, where earlier in the year they were anticipated to be in early March. And then also um, primers and caps right now are kind of the big issue of, of things that I think the primer shortage in the centerfire and modern stuff finally hit the manufacturing backlog, finally hit percussion muzzleloaders. I mean, we're seeing number 11 caps are a huge issue, but there's still some number 10s out there. I'm just curious if you guys are seeing the same thing.
1: Yeah, so... I, th- I guess this is one of the good things that we haven't really had big shoots and everything's because people haven't had to use their supply, Yeah. but generally, um, one of the, I'm going to, I'll give a shout out to this. Um, one of our, um, one of our, um, ad people here, but their Bat Creek gun shop, um, they do a fantastic job for us, but the biggest thing that helps us with them is that they're, they are located actually at our home range. Oh, like wonderful. they, their, their shop is right outside of our, um, home ranges exit. So a lot of people, you know, when they're leaving nationals, they pull into them. They either, you know, you go buy all the caps you need, buy all the powder you need and then head on home to wherever home is. Right. And so a lot of people use the nationals to stock up. And I know right now they like they have no, I want to say they have supplies, but it's nowhere near what they used to have. Yeah. And what they do have, of course, the price is elevated and it's no fault of their own. Everything's elevated.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's. I don't like paying any more you know, for anything, but right now we're in a real bind, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: I don't think we're, I don't think we've hit the point where, you know, gun broker where you can find a thousand primers for $300. If you absolutely have to get some tomorrow, we're not there yet with number 11 caps, but you know, I mean, it's just the shortages are there. And I mean, we, it's, it's for a host of reasons. And the one, I guess the good thing that is there is that um, number 11 caps aren't as popular as small pistol primers or small yes. rifle primers, yeah. but they are still popular. Yeah.
0: And we saw a huge boom in muzzle loading in 2020. I mean, I've talked about it a little bit with some other people, but just the um, – we had several – a lot of what we do – I mean, we deal with all muzzle loaders, but the uh-huh. kind of entry level for everybody is kind of the traditional um, – late 1700s, early 1800s and kits for those, uh, muzzleloaders were just impossible to find pretty much from July to February. And they, f- yeah. they started to come in.
1: Yeah. I found, I actually ran across that. Um, I'm glad you talked about that because, um, I've, a good buddy of mine, he had a project. He wanted to build himself a planes rifle for shooting, for going squirrel hunting, mm-hmm. which, I mean, more power to you if you want to try to shoot a squirrel with a flintlock. I, oh, you got
0: it. Eddie, you got you to gotta try it. It is so <laughs> I mean, satisfying.
1: I, it's definitely a bucket list, but I mean, I struggle shooting with twenty two some days. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got those. I got those giant black squirrels that you shoot them with a 22 and they look at you like they want to kill you. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) But like we were trying to like build him this kit and like, we just couldn't find anything. Yeah. And so like with the, the project got almost put on indefinite hold and it was just, I mean, we could find individual parts, but everything at one time was almost impossible to find. And that was, and I was like, man, I know other guns are sold out but the fact that muzzle loaders are sold out is like, one, encouraging that loading is growing, but also scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just so weird. I started to see on the message boards and things, uh, a couple people asking questions, and then it was just a ton of people asking questions. And then, boom, the supply was gone. Yeah. I talked to one of our business members, um, Deer Creek Products. A couple of weeks ago, I stopped into a shop on our way on the way to our headquarters in Friendship, Indiana. There, and he had some. He had finally gotten some Traditions kits in stock. He had about forty or fifty, but he said he had close to five hundred still on back order. That they were still waiting to get in from. I mean, and Traditions is one of the major manufacturers. Uh-huh. And it was just crazy to think about those numbers. And while I was talking to him, he was getting phone calls. I mean, he had a dozen phone calls in two hours, which was just talking to him. It was, it's just a level of interest that he's not seen in a long time. So I I think it's, I said it there earlier, but it's a really exciting time. I think for muzzleloading and history and, and NMLRA and NSSA.
1: What about, um, what about the modern cheating ones? You know, the modern inlines, the modern inlines, they're running into the
0: same things. Um, the, the main uh, black powder substitute or the most popular black powder substitute uh, blackhorn 209. Um, it was purchased by Hodgdon last year. And when they did that, the um, supply for the year had been bought. Well, everybody was stuck at home, and I think everybody wanted to go out hunting as much as they could. So a bunch of people got into the inline muzzle loaders looking to extend their season. Uh-huh. And there's still no blackhorn out there, and it's and the same with um, the bullets, the conicals. If you're using, I mean. All The 209 primers, it's in the same position. I actually got with an NMRA member a couple weeks ago um, who is a dealer, a firearms dealer. And he was able to send me some 209 primers for some videos and things. And it's it's so weird that, like, yeah, I, I see guys online talking about 9 millimeter or two two three, you know, are kind of the big ammo groups that people cannot find. But I'm sitting over here with um, worried about if I have enough 4F powder for my priming pan on my flintlock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I, um, that's, that's cool to see. I mean, the, I worked part-time a couple years ago, uh, right before, um, the big, bu- before the big bus at a gun shop. So I saw, Like I had a lot of people always ask me about muzzleloaders and stuff. And I kind of, I did break down about a year and a half ago and I bought, or I should say two years ago and I bought an actual inline muzzleloader. And, um, but it was funny. I didn't actually use it this year for muzzleloading. I just couldn't, couldn't take my, I couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a change. (laughs) But, um, the... Well, I, I did it because I knew I was going to be eventually moving to Western North Carolina and their muzzle muzzleloading season is longer. So I was like, all right, it's really wet out there. I'll, I'll take advantage of the fact that this is a gun that won't die on me if it gets wet. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> but the, th- the seeing these new guns and everything like the, the, everyone getting really popular with them, that's that's really cool and really like encouraging. Like, I mean. I, I, I joke with like you know it's like they're cheating guns. But I mean if you if you enjoy shooting shoot what you enjoy. That's that's the main thing. Yeah. I don't care if it's like traditional black powder. If you only enjoy shooting a twenty two, or if you only enjoy shooting trap. If you're if you enjoy shooting, go do it.
0: Yeah. I. I'm really glad that you touched on it. Your climate being super wet. Uh, I was listening to the muzzleloaders.com podcast there and they were talking about how hard it is to hunt with a flintlock in the Pacific Northwest. And that's something as, as an Indiana (laughs) native, yeah, it's a rainforest. (laughs) And as an Indiana native, I, that, that thought never crossed my mind. I've grown up shooting, under hammers, you know, precision, you know, kind of the race guns, muzzle loading, inlines and things, as well as the traditional stuff, too. Um, but, you know, trying to. Take an elk in the Pacific Northwest with a flintlock. I can imagine that can be kind of hairy, and so I appreciate you touching on that.
1: <laughs> that that would be that that would be cool. That'd be a bucket list item for sure. But Definitely. man, I don't I don't think I could ever imagine trying to keep my pants dry when it's pouring down rain. Oh my gosh! I mean, I know for a fact, um, dear God, that someone's out there's going to yell at me for this. But I know for a fact <laughs> I've broken every safety rule in the book when I've been on the line competing. It's pouring down rain, putting my head right over the muzzle, pouring loose powder into the thing. Like, oh god. Uh, please don't blow yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I've, I've got two questions here what do you what muzzleloader do you hunt with and then what inline did you pick up
1: so the inline it's it's um it was just a cva kit and it's actually a 45 caliber not even a 50 cal okay and it was just it just happened to be the price is right it was it's an mm-hmm. old cva um I can't even tell you the name of it. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. No,
0: that's okay. That's okay. <laughs>
1: but it's, it's a CVA, like, uh, but it's, it's, um. no, it's not CVA. I'm sorry. That's one that I picked up. I picked up a 50 caliber. It's a Thompson Center because it's the one that breaks them down. Like it's a single shot shotgun. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I picked up that just because I really enjoy the fact that everything is enclosed and, Western North Carolina has a lot of like, I mean, it's, I don't know if you consider it a rainforest, but it rains enough to be one. Yeah. So that I picked up something, I picked it up for that. And with it being 45 caliber, it's slightly small, but I figured I'd only ever use it on deer anyway. So that'll be fine. But as far as what I actually hunt with, <laughs> I hunt with a, um, I, I hunt with, a, um, an, an original Mississippi. Oh, wow. So from the 18, 1850s. <laughs> that's awesome. And, um, unfortunately this year I did not get anything in my homestead of North Carolina. I, I had a dry year in North Carolina, but, um, I luckily I, I have access to property. It's my, um, it's my family's cattle farm up in New York. Okay. So we went up there and I was able to get a couple of deer up in New York this year.
0: Nice. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs>
1: what about you? Like, what is, if you had to pick your favorite, um, like. Your, your your favorite gun to hunt with what is yours if we're asking questions i'm just i always love hearing this well I, I guess maybe
0: it's not maybe it's not fair because i haven't taken it out yet but i just built a kibler southern mountain rifle mm. and so <laughs> i have some property here and we have some deer I, I really don't do a whole lot of hunting but i do hunt squirrels almost all the time if i can anytime i can go hunt a squirrel I want to. I mean, I use my air rifle a ton here on the farm. Uh, you know, like you say, 22s and things, but I'm so excited to get that Kibler out. Um, it's a 40 cal, so like anything for deer okay. or anything, uh, it's not really game for that. It, for me, it was more of a plinking build um, and, you know, competition build. But I'm super excited that it's it's large for squirrels, but it's still small enough to, to count. So that's... That's my go-to. I mean, my grandfather—it was always neat. He always hunted with um, an original Civil War musket. Now <laughs> I don't know which one it was. I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, but I—I'd I'd really like to get out and and take a nice buck with that someday. You know, just kind of in memory of him.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I trust me. I understand. I have—I have my granddad's old single shot shotgun that I—I. I, I, told myself one day i'm just going to make um like it's super it's really old and it it is fireable but it's one of those guns that i do i choose not to fire mm-hmm. but i'm definitely going to like make a single squirrel shot round with it and go like hunt a squirrel or a dove or something with it yeah. and then just put it back away and like all right
0: <laughs> yep just kind of remember that and hold on to that mm-hmm. So, getting away from the, all the fun stuff that we're talking about, but um, talking a little bit about what you do as a mental health professional. I mean, you mentioned that this is something you wanted to talk about, and when you mentioned it, it was something I wanted to talk about because it's. I think it's a really important thing to go along with with firearms in general. And you see a lot of the national, uh, like the National Shooting Sports Foundation, is is really up, okay. and the manufacturers are as well. And there's not a whole lot of talk about it with you know, muzzle odors and kind of antique arms. But I'd love to hear you talk about that some more.
1: Yeah, so um I am a month away um from finishing up my licensure to be a licensed therapist in North Carolina. But uh my my degrees are in social work and like I said, but come my background coming from for, um like as a first responder, I saw a lot of trauma and a lot of like um, a lot of my friends dealt with suicide and, of course, PTSD. Uh, I've struggled with my um, own PTSD and various traumas and stuff going throughout the, um, my life. And it kind of helped push me to work with other individuals. So one of the organizations out there that I found that um, I've been volunteering with and they're, they're growing. They do a podcast every week as well. So um, feel free to check them out. But it's called Walk the Talk America but their main core mission is um, the intersection of guns and mental health. And how they do that is they help do it, they, they try to bring awareness to suicide. And the a lot of, because um, a lot of people talk about, and I know this is the dark topic of the show, so apologies, but while like guns are not the most um, popular choice um, for suicides, they are one of the most lethal. And while most people Probably aren't using like a muzzleloader per se. Mm -hmm. It's worth talking about that. I would say that if you're into muzzleloading, you probably are into other forms of shooting as well. And regardless of that, like we all follow the same rules of safety and stuff like that. So this organization, what their mission is, is to try to you know, one, advocacy on the half of like we we stick true to what gun rights are, and but we also are able to talk with other mental health professionals. They have partnerships with um mental health america which is one of the largest mental health organizations in america they've um they bring on various guests for their podcast they last week they had um or i believe it was depending on when this episode comes out um it was last week for me but one of their episodes they brought in one of the 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 chief officers for the veterans um for the the va so the veteran Mm -hmm. um, association wow and they're talking about him and his role and like for firearms to him and how they how honestly firearms can be therapeutic for a lot of people that like went through things and how like for first responders who are almost afraid to come forward with their issues and or gun owners in general because of the misinformation that's out there that hey if i say that i have an issue going on that i could lose my gun rights and this organization tries to do their best so like hey no it's okay to talk about mental health because if we treat mental health just like every other illness that's out there, because it is truly just an illness, mm-hmm. then we can overcome that illness. And if you can't overcome it for do for whatever reason, you can manage it, and you can still have a healthy, normal, productive life.
0: Yeah, I think that's important. I think that's that's really encouraging to hear. And it's and thank you for the volunteer work you've been doing with them. That's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I'm just um, on the like lower ends the 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 gentleman that started it is um his name is Michael Sedini uh, he actually is the former CEO of Eagle Imports oh wow so he's a gun guy himself he know uh, he, he does joke him he says he's the most ungun, un-gun gun guy cuz he grew up in new jersey oh <laughs> yep yep but um but he but i mean he's a fantastic individual the man his his heart is passionate about this and they do have a um their mental health professional that they have kind of on board with them is um name is jake Wiscursion he used to be the um, head of licensing or set on the licensing board for the state of nevada um i hope i said that word he always yells at me when i say that state wrong <laughs> <laughs> but uh so he but he's also the he owns his own practice out there and he's a marriage and family therapist but their board their board of directors is ton, full of tons of gun people i mean we have it's like uh rob pincus is one of their um gun, uh, there sits on their board and he's really active in it. Um, Colin Noir is on their board of directors. So, I mean, like really big, um, guys in the gun community. Yeah. So it's like, it's an organization that's definitely growing and it's, it's receiving a lot of support from both sides. Cause like I mean, they brought in people from the left side of politics and the right side of politics. I mean, there's a gentleman, his name is, uh, Ed Garner. He is one of the founding members of the liberal gun club which is exactly what it sounds like. It's people who consider themselves liberals but are very pro-2A, and it's like they they appreciate everything liberal, but they're staunch 2A supporters. And so they're able to reach across the aisle, depending on like that political divide, and go right up and down and help uh, try to get real change and real advocacy started.
0: Yeah, and that's important. I mean, no matter where you sit on it, you can't argue with trying to help people that need help and, and want help. Mm-hmm. So where can people find out more about the work that you're doing there?
1: Yeah, go to walkthetalkamerica.org. Um, and the the coolest thing you can do on that website as well is that you can take a free and anonymous health screening. And I'll go into that for a second. You go to walkthetalkamerica.org slash love. And what it is, it's a free and anonymous health screening. So it's exactly what it sounds like. You take it and you just answer truthfully and it tells you what probably are most likely is going on. It's not a diagnosis mm-hmm. for like any diagnosis and thing out there. like, like we'll just talk about the big ones that people know, like usually talk about depression, anxiety. It can probably tell you that, Hey, maybe you're experiencing anxiety or Hey, maybe you're feeling depressed and then it can offer you resources. One of the resources they do is they do provide training to mental health professionals. This is the big mission core mission of walk the talk America is that, um, a lot of us who grew up in firearms culture whether um, either it's you know muzzle loading modern sh- modern sporting rifles or just any type of hunting is that we we understand gun talk um yeah. in the sense that that like you know when we talk about safety we understand you know the the fundamental rules of safety and so but mental health professionals Sometimes don't. I mean, I am. I, I'm. I'm not unique because there are there are a lot of us out there. We're just not really as vocal. Um, but I grew up in the gun culture and mental health side, so I can talk both sides. But some people don't understand how to talk gun in yeah. a sense. Yeah. So what they do is they offer competency classes. You, it, it, you literally, the, the individuals literally sign up and they learn about gun culture. They have Rob Pincus is a national trainer. Said so he comes in, he helps, he helps teach it with Mike and Jake, but he goes over, you know, all the various aspects of firearm culture. What it's about, um, and they talk about, you know, what makes a gun. He talks about the differences between firearms. You know, the difference between an AR-15, a rifle, a shotgun, a pistol. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, they don't bring up muzzle loaders in that, but, I mean, you you, you got you 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 your space for time. Yep, yep. <laughs> but um, while well, doing that, then they break out the next class where they, they learn more in-depth. And unfortunately, during COVID, they couldn't finish this last part up, but it ultimately ends in the clinicians going actually to a firing range and getting to shoot a gun for the first time if they choose to okay. so they can understand what shooting a gun is like. And the idea is that when you take that anonymous screen, if you ask for more help, it'll take you to Mental Health America's website. And if you search for a provider in your state, it'll have a WTTA-trained battery site so you know, hey, they at least know what guns there are, how to talk gun. Yeah. So that way you can't – that way you're not really – you shouldn't be afraid of talking about your issues. If you have any – just because you own firearms, you're enjoying shooting because this is the part where I, I open up to the world. Okay, if you don't mind, yeah, yeah, you're fine, man. So, I struggle with post um, PTSD. If you don't know, it's called post traumatic stress disorder. Um, you hear a lot of it for soldiers. I have a lot of mine from working for as a first responder. Um, it comes with with that comes with the Debbie things. Um, it all, some of it is different. I usually struggled with nightmares and flashbacks. And it is, it's rough. It's hard. It's very scary. And going to seek help when I was a first responder was not a thing we did because in my culture, we are the heroes and we are the people that don't we help other people, not the other way around. So it was hard to seek help. And seeking help was one of the hardest things I did. And it did truly help. But one of the things that I like to push out there is that what helped more than going to talk to a professional and like I said, when doing this, I did it on top of going to see professionals, so they stacked. Yeah. But what helped was going back to shooting. I was working in an environment where I couldn't get, I couldn't shoot anymore, because my weekends were always spent, always spent working, and I couldn't go back. I couldn't actually get to my shooting competitions. Yeah. So, when people go through these um, trainings, they get. They realize that, hey, it is very therapeutic for someone to go to the range and shoot. It's very therapeutic for someone to take his children shooting or her children shooting. Or if someone says, hey, I went to the range and I shot 500 rounds of ammo, if we're talking modern, or, yeah. or a house mortgage. <laughs> but if like, it's very therapeutic to go, hey, I enjoy shooting and there's nothing wrong with that. So it's I want you to realize there are people out there like us and we're training more every day.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, I've always, I guess, kind of joked about that—that that going out and, uh, you know, shooting my air rifle in the evening or or going and shooting a woods walk with a group of friends was therapeutic, um, because I always felt better no matter what I was going through. After I dinged a few silhouettes, mm-hmm. it was—it's just so satisfying. It Just gets your mind off of everything. So it's fantastic to hear that. Really, the thing that everybody loves when they're involved in shooting sports is is being seen as healthy and contributes to being healthier.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're just talking about like the the aspects of like you know the amount of discipline it takes to actually hit a target, like there's a lot of mental like mental awareness going on, and a lot of what you teach someone how to be a good shot is the same things we teach you in therapy and something like that about mindfulness. It's the exact same things, just framed differently. Yeah. So think of it that way. Like you already definitely, you kind of already know and are going to be taught some of the stuff, but we're just going to frame it in a different way. The, I mean, like for me going shooting with my dad um, was some of the best memories of my life. I mean uh, the best memory I have of shooting NSSA was I won A class a1 musket championship which is the big musket champion which you know it's the main thing on sunday Mm -hmm. i won a championship of that sitting beside my dad he was on the same team um like the like that was the best memory i have and i lost that ability to do that so that's why going back to shooting meant so much to me
0: that's awesome that's just i'm happy i'm happy that you're back shooting i'm happy that you're feeling better And I'm happy to hear that these resources are out there for people.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're growing every day. There's definitely resources out there. Um, I'll give, um, I'll gladly give my email and this um, and at least a way to reach me. And so that people can, if you need to reach out, feel free and I can always put you in contact with people. And like I said, it doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum. This is all about just getting help. So this is, if you think you, if you think something's going on, the main thing is to talk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll get that from you, Eddie, after the show, or you can email it to me and we'll make sure to include that in the show notes for people to check out along with everything else.
1: Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I mean, I have stories for days I can go on for NSSA. Well, how about
0: if you have a good story, I think that'd be a good thing to kind of wrap up on.
1: Okay. I mean, I kind of shared the story of my, winning the championship with my dad. That is the best memory for real. I mean, that's... Um, I, I too, uh,
0: you know, while you're thinking I've, there's a, like a junior senior match on the NMLRA pistol line and my father and I have, have won that match. Um, I think mostly because of him, I I, I don't remember how old I was, but that is, I still have that medal in my bedroom and it's one of my most fond memories.
1: Oh, that is awesome. Okay. Okay. I have, <laughs> so I have a memory and it, it definitely, it definitely involves, uh, <laughs> Okay. I'll just share. (laughs) All right. So my favorite memory of the shooting, I mean, nothing tops winning the championship beside my dad. I mean, that's just the, my dad's going to listen to this. I know he is. And that's, I mean, he already knows it, but my dad is an inspiration to me and winning that, winning that medal beside him. I mean, I'm getting allergic to feelings right now, <laughs> but winning that medal beside him meant so much to me because like I was the best and no one could take it away from me. Yeah. But my favorite memory was actually back when I was in high school. So <laughs> my high school had a sh- um, a 22 shooting team, my rifle shooting team. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it was really cool. Like, I mean, we did archery and everything as well and shotgun, but I... I'm decent with archery. I mean, I'm decent enough that I can hunt deer with my bow. I do. I cannot wing shoot to save my life. I mean, every dove season, I go out with um, two boxes of shells and maybe one dove. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they have nothing to worry about for me, but rifle, um, depending on how much I practice, I'm, I'm fairly decent. Uh, I, the last time I, I mean, I say, I checked, I mean, I, the reason I say I think is because some of my medals aren't official because of, um, like we the way the rules and stuff state we have to have a certain number of people on our own team but i have essentially six national titles to my name um wow. but the so my first national title i won when i was 15 and that same year i started shooting on the high school shooting team and they were going to their state championship and i was every day in practice i was out shooting their um I was out shooting their state champion, the guy who held the records and everything. Oh, wow. And um, and so I just knew I was a golden lock to get make the team. And the, the week before they leave, they announced teams and I'm not on the team. Ugh. And I was like, I came to him and I kind of talked. I'm like, hey, um, is there a reason I'm not on the team? Like, did I do something wrong? He's like, well, I just don't think you can take the pressure of people watching you while shooting. Ugh. Mind you, I, I'm used to shooting the NSSA. I'm used to shooting the Nationals um, where like, mean you could have a couple hundred people watching you shoot at any given moment yeah so i'm like okay that doesn't make sense but whatever and so i leave and go to the nationals literally that evening uh, cause I think that was like a Thursday evening and my mom, my mom and dad let me take off that Friday to go up and shoot. So it was kind of a cool thing to get away from school to go shooting. Yeah. So I leave, go up there and I shoot my individual match and then I win a national title that year. I won the young skirmisher award. So that was the, 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 top shooter in the nation under 18. So I win that award and go through everything. then I think I, I believe I win a carbine, um, championship that weekend as well and i and like <laughs> the like third third or fourth on a team competition i think third because i still had the medal and i don't know if they gave fourth in, on the b teams at the time because at the time i wasn't a i wasn't an a team shooter i was a uh, B team shooter. With that said, um, reason I, it, it's weird hearing someone say he wins national titles. He's not the top shot. Our team is fairly decent.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, my dad holds a national record that to this day has never been broken. It's been sitting for 20 years. Nice. So he, yeah. So he he's a really good shot. So but. This is the part of the story that I like, and it's part of like a vindictive part of like I told you so. Yep. I take these medals, I go back to the um, the teacher, and I, so like, I give him one last shot. I'm like, hey, so if you give any more thought of allowing me to shoot, I just came back from a national that I did okay. He goes, no, I still don't think you can take the pressure. I produce all the medals in front of him. I said, <laughs> I had more people watching me here than you have at this championship. I quit the team. <laughs> and they go the, they go to the state championship and fall on their face. Oh. <laughs> well, that's got to be satisfying for you. It was. I mean, it wasn't a big way. I felt bad because I had a friend on the team, but I mean, it was like, how was 15. I was like, you made me mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <yep>, that's <laughs>
0: a classic 15.
1: <laughs> but yeah, awesome. I mean, there's so many different stories. I mean, it. If anyone ever wants to go and visit one of the things, uh, yeah. search online and you can find a regional shoot. If you're near Virginia and like we advertise our shoots and everything, if you're near uh, Winchester when we do one of our nationals, and if you want to come out there, get a hold of me and you can come out there as a guest of me on my name. I mean, I'll gladly let someone come out there just wants to check out the skirmish. I mean, that's that's what we need. We need people to come out there and check it out. Yeah. And what are the dates on that? Uh, they change ah, but that's fine the, the generally the fall one is the um the around the first weekend um excuse me around the first week of um october okay they just shift parenting, and then the spring is in may okay so but we we usually announce them like set, um a year in advance mm-hmm. so but right now it's weird uh i would give the dates of the spring but i'm i i'm i'm unsure if they, right, as of right now, we're having, um, excuse me, not the spring, I'm, as of right now, we're having a fall nationals um, coming up. So okay. in October, we should have a shoot. fantastic Fingers crossed that, you know, COVID numbers keep going down and people keep getting their um, shots and everything. And we're allowed to have it yeah. because I'm, I'm itching to go out there and see my family again and shoot. Yeah, yeah. it's It's a real bummer not getting to go and,
0: and do the big shoots. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a tough one. Well, I'd like to thank you, Eddie, for coming on the show. It was, like I said, it was a great, it was a great time talking to you and and you did great. So uh, we'll have links to everything that you've talked about in the show notes below uh, okay. for people to check out. And, um, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and maybe someday here I can get out to uh, the North South skirmish association nationals and, and see what you guys are all about.
1: Okay. Yeah. And like, if you ever just, I'm, I'm open to ever like being like showing up on shows and having fun talking. I mean, this was fantastic. I've been on a few other podcasts, like I said, and I don't mind talking. And this was just a fun talk. So like if you ever just need a, you can't, you don't have a guest lined up, just call me. We can chat. Oh, I'd love that, man. That would be great. We'd like to
0: thank Eddie again for coming onto the show. This was one of the most fun interviews I think we've done. Eddie and I really hit it off being young people in muzzleloading and shooting sports here. So it was a lot of fun. Like I said, we'll have everything that Eddie was talking about in the links in the show notes down below, whether you're listening on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. If you enjoyed what we've talked about here today you're going to love the NMLRA spring national shoot coming up in june it's june 12th through 20th in friendship indiana it might be a long drive for many of you around the country and i understand if after the last year it's not something that you can swing but please consider adding it to your calendar or adding it to your bucket list as something to get out and come do We have a quarter mile of covered firing line, multiple woods walks, a large primitive range. We have everything for black powder shooting and black powder competitions. Anything black powder you have, there is a match, a set of matches, and an entire culture developed around that particular niche of black powder competition. It's something you don't want to miss. Please check it out, nmlra.org. I'd like to thank everybody listening for listening. It's been a lot of fun doing the podcast with you and getting this episode out was just so much fun. If you want to hear more, if this is your first time listening, visit nmlra.org slash podcast to catch up on the backlog of, I believe like 44, 45 episodes now, all talking about everything, black powder, muzzle loading, everything in between. You you don't want to miss it. It's a lot of great episodes. If you want to support what we do here at the NMLRA and Along with that, the podcast, Muzzle Blast Magazine, everything you see online, as well as all of the other legacy programs that we offer, between Charter Clubs, One of One Thousand Program, and all of the traditional craft and muzzleloading classes that we offer, you can join the NMLRA. It's as little as three dollars a month, and that gets you started. Gets you Muzzle Blast Magazine. Gets you all the membership benefits out there, and it helps us continue what we're doing to preserve muzzleloading in American history around the country. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Give me one quick second. My yeah. dog
1: pushed open my door and oh. just jumped in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna go make sure she can't get a hold of anything. I have chicken laid out for dinner. Make uh, sure she can't get a hold yeah. of it. I'm going to shut the door. Yeah, no problem. Okay, yeah, that's pushed off. And, all right, Lily, just be good. Mom, mom will be home in like 10 minutes. <laughs>